Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bald Move Television Podcast. We're the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And I'm Cecily. And we are here to talk about three new shows that debuted on television this week. Catch-22, a Hulu original, uh, dropped a whole season on us. Uh, It's a comedy, drama, dramedy, uh, starring, uh, well, well, George Clooney and Hugh Laurie. And what's that guy's name? His name is Christopher Abbott. Christopher Abbott. Uh, we're also looking at uh, Fleabag, which returns for season two, but uh, we're going to talk about it anyway because there's no rules. It's all television we're covering here. And finally, the HBO documentary, sports documentary, Muhammad Ali, Say My Name. We'll be discussing that in this order. Uh, guys, let's start with Hulu's Catch-22. Um, I watched is, one episode. This is six 45-minute episodes. They all dropped today. They're all available. Um, are you guys are either of you guys familiar with the original the novel the source material no I didn't even know there was one uh, I'm not either it's I I can't it's one of those things that's like kind of hard to get out of a literature class in high school without being familiar with it but somehow right. <laughs> Mooresville didn't carry it in their cl- curriculum um, but it's essentially about a guy who is a bomber uh, bomber a bomber bomber uh, like a major, major, dropped, major, major bomber, drop, bomber. <laughs> drop, drop the bombs on the bomber planes uh, in World War II and his feelings about war and being stuck with it and the madness and the crazy things that happen and uh, him trying to get out of, of, of fighting that war. And Catch-22 refers to the I'm not sure if it's real or if this is a farcical military uh, doctrine that um, if you if, if you are if you if you if you don't. The, 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 they actually succinctly state this, that the army can says that if you don't, if, if the, that appropriate fear and concern for one's safety in a dangerous situation is a rational response. So just being afraid uh, to go out on these bombers is, is, is a sane thing. So, but also you don't have to fly the bombers if you're crazy. But the second you say you're crazy so you can get out of, you're making a rational thought process. So then you're no longer crazy and you have to fly to planes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the catch twenty two. It's a hell of a catch. Um, what do you guys think about it? Uh, especially like, the, did it successfully navigate the kind of rough waters of comedy and drama, dealing with like the horrors of war and also just kind of funny life in the military type stories? Yeah, I really think it did. Um, I I felt like those bomber scenes were pretty harrowing. Uh, even even the ones that go right and then nobody dies. Uh, I, I felt very much the fear that the the bomber was feeling in any given moment right even in like the scene where they were doing the test with the pilot or their instructor yeah yeah it still had you could just feel that tension there and they do a good job of of everybody kind of on the radios going hurry the fuck up let's mm-hmm. get this done like look you know, at the yeah. hellscape we're in uh drop those bombs drop those bombs and he's like nope just hold i need i need to get line this up or this mm-hmm. is for nothing and we're gonna have to go out and do it again mm-hmm. uh yeah, all, all that stuff worked, and then the comedy stuff, I, I thought was a, almost just a nice bonus. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't, I didn't find it super hilarious, but I did enjoy it. And yeah. I'm looking forward. Although I will say, I don't think we've seen the best of George Clooney or Hugh Laurie. Yeah, I'm looking forward to more with them. I don't think we'll see George Clooney ever again. No. Yeah, I was thought he, he was, was, was kind of like camp? the um, uh, the the swimmer character from, the, the uh, drill sergeant yeah, he was like a drill thing? sergeant that got him whipped into shape and now okay I, I actually don't even know if we'll see hugh Laurie anymore i kind of feel like those were big cameos that were there to kind of you know it's a george lucas it's a george lucas george clooney production so throwing him in there 
um, you know, kind of gets people's butts in, in the seats for Hulu. And then, uh, but yeah, I don't, I like it. I feel like both of those characters are, are dismissed early on. Hmm. I think they'll all come back. Yeah. Or both of them. I think it kind of the theme, and it's pretty obvious, but I think the theme is the circular logic of everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's only nine more missions left, but now you've got five more tacked on, and it's just going to keep repeating. Mm-hmm. So I think, I feel like those people are going to come back in sort of the exact same way throughout this person's experience. But I don't yeah. know. I haven't read the book. I, th- I think if this is a fake military doctrine and it's not real, they really should have called the show and potentially the book. I don't know what the name of that is, but Catch 25 uh-huh. would actually be a better Why Catch title? 25? Because they have to run 25 missions, right? Oh. Well, now they and have everybody to run knows Catch 22, and yeah. so they would kind of infer mm. the the circular logic of it all, but... Um, I thought because there's a lot of other things like I got myself I, I found myself being charmed by like there's this um, character named Milo and he has this pitch for being a mess officer because everyone's trying to work it seems like there's a couple characters trying to work angles to keep them out of flying these dangerous dangerous bombing missions sure uh, and I'm like because they they make this Hugh Laurie when you see this guy this this major that runs the this air wing he's very cultured. And he, you know, like, like like if he was a millennial, he'd be ordering toast with avocado. Uh, he's got okay. like, you know, a he, he's he's got like a record player set up playing, you know, uh, high class music, and he's throwing. He's got a, like a, a horseshoe pitch, which is kind of low class, but you just kind of get that he's kind of this type of guy who wants his rack of lamb and his exotic eats and his exotic drinks. And there's this guy here to um, provide it for him, but then. I feel like he's replaced in this episode. Like, there's this new hard-charging guy is put over it, and this other guy gets sidelined. I'm like, ah, oh, why? I was really getting invested in this Milo and his rise to mess officer. What's what's going on here? Um, I, I don't... What what are their, What is Hugh Laurie's rank? Because I know that other guy's a colonel, right? I thought they were both majors. Hugh Laurie's for he sure said a I'm, major. I am colonel maybe yeah you could be right the other guy's lieutenant colonel i don't and i also don't know the structure of of yeah i was making surmise like when i yeah you're right i I might be wrong that that might 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 be like middle management yeah i don't know titles Um, i'm hoping that they can coexist because i love hugh laurie uh after years and years of house and just you know his british comedy stuff um i would like to see him come back yeah right yeah the comedy's all very just understated Mm -hmm. yeah Especially his stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because, like, when we were first watching this, and I and I was kind of familiar with the source material, Catch Twenty Two. At least I knew what it was thematically. And I'm like, you know, we had this interesting conversation yesterday on the spoiler podcast about like kind of pacifism and you know what extreme pacifism looks like and whether we kind of agree with it. And when this started up, I'm like, oh, this guy's like a pacifist to the extent that you won't like if you won't fight against Nazi Germany. I don't know that there's a fight that you feels morally justified. I'm like, this is going to be interesting to see how I can, you know, because I guess I can be sympathetic for anyone that doesn't want to fight war because you're afraid and no one wants to die and et cetera. But like, if there's a reasonable case that there's some kind of existential crisis and you don't fight against something that's broadly considered one of the greatest evils of the 20th century, then like how sympathetic am I going to be to this person? But then you find out that like, even though he's extremely feeling this fear and he tries to get get out of it in any way he can like he will he's not going to shirk like he's not the type mm-hmm. of guy who like dropped the bombs early like he takes the job seriously and then you know when he finds out that like he's just counting down to 25 counting down to 25 then they arbitrarily add five more missions and they mm-hmm. talk about like oh when you're done in germany you're going to go to japan 
And he makes some good points like, hey, yeah, we have got we got Germany on the ropes. Like, why are we still doing this? And we're risking lives to because why again? I I thought those were interesting things. Bravery, courage, pacifism. What kind of man is the uh, how do you say his name? Yosefaria, something like that. Yo, 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 yo. What kind of man is he? Is he a good man? Because there's nothing wrong with not wanting to do these bombing missions. But he's also sleeping with his, uh, I want to say officer, Officer Clooney. Cucking, cucking George Clooney. Yeah. Yes. I didn't think that was possible, frankly, <laughs> but, you know. Just goes to show. Clooney's that. getting up there. <laughs> yeah. And he accidentally sent the the young um, new bunkmate Mud to his death. Mm-hmm. Oh God, that was. Did, so did he brutal. realize that? Did, did that hundred percent sink in with him? Because I, I didn't sure. really think he registered strongly enough. Oh, I did this to this kid. I don't think so. It either. depends on how much he knew what was going on at the at that time. Because he knew he sent him to the wrong tent. Yeah. Does he know what they were doing in there? I can't right. believe. Is that like, where everyone reports and they're right. told which ship to get on? Because then he would right. make that connection. Right. I assume he's going to find out later. Uh, yeah. through some other avenue that, oh, I actually sent this kid to his death. Or it could just be a kind of an illustration of how, you know, you, you always say, this is interesting, like the, they, they touch on with Band of Brothers, too, like how there's this intense bond between the people that go through the shit, but then like when the replacements come, it's kind of like, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a, he's on zero, mission zero, and I'm on mission 19, like, you know. But I, I still don't think he's evil. I don't think he l- would, would realize he sent that guy to his possible death and then not get up from his cot. I just feel like it's one of those things where he hasn't put two to two together. And I yeah. can see them making that a thing later on. And I can also see them just being like, this is a statement about the fog of war and how people sure. relate to each other and kind of how fucked up things can get. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you, I mean, where do you think of this series is going? So we've seen the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um so obviously we're spoiling that entire thing, but there are five more episodes. Right. This is like spoiling the first fifteen minutes of a movie. It's the setup. Yeah, this is yeah. all set up. So so where do you where do you think this thing is going? I have no idea because like this felt like a very this felt like a very full, fully developed. Like I like this could be another episode long. It could finish, and I feel like it'd be a conventional kind of cinematic experience. Obviously, there's five more rough hours of uh, or, you know roughly five hours of television i guess four hours of television ahead of us i have no idea because also how can they top this stuff you know we've seen like how this utterly terrifying like mm-hmm. i've always thought it'd be terrible to be in these like rigid lines that the armies used to stand in where you're standing shoulder to shoulder and you're taking your leg you know ready aim fire reload mm-hmm. ready and, the, and then the other volleys coming and just like how fucked up that is that you're just standing there and people dying all around you and it's like that World War II bombing campaign is almost exactly like that. Like men yeah. rigidly for flying in formation through hell, and then you just hope that more of your bombs hit than than they knock planes out of the sky. And how helpless! Like everyone in that situation is, like except for the bomber. Like the pilot has to fly straight until the bomber says it's ready to go, and then once the bomber says it's go time, he's then helpless to do anything but be care. It's and and the way that. He, like, looked over to his fellow, like, bomber gunner or whatever, and then they, like, made eye contact and then exploded. And, like, I don't know if this ever happened in World War II, but I believe it could happen. His body just slams. That was fucked up. Yeah, it is. Um, so, like, that's a strong statement, but, I mean, it seems clear that this guy, like, I think maybe that he will actually go crazy, and they'll be, like, that'll be interesting. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Like, because, you know, the, the idea of a Catch-22 and the sort of it being the title tells me that, 
A, they're going to go with the the irony of it all, right? Which I think makes a lot of sense. But mm-hmm. also, I think they're going to go with the genuine idea that these situations, you know, b- being even if you're not crazy going into these situations, yeah. there's a cer- only a certain amount of shit that people can take before they snap. Yeah, yeah. And this guy, I mean, well, there's the very first shot of the uh-huh. episode, right, where he walks in back into camp from some horrific experience, covered in blood uh-huh. and screaming, completely naked. Uh-huh. I mean, is that, that that's the end of the series, right? Yeah, I forgot about it's that. It's got to be. Yeah, you're right. I or just, is it like <laughs> a, some kind of nightmare he's having because he's seen so much and he's gone crazy, like you said? I think it ends in either he he goes crazy or maybe he makes an escape. Well, because it seems like clearly. Because like, he sees so much of this, maybe that yeah. scene happens and he just can't take it anymore. Yeah, he's like 17 or 18 missions in, and clearly he's still saying, like, if he got out now. Mm-hmm. He'd live a normal life, and also you can't call him a coward. He flew through nineteen no. combat missions God, no. of this of this shit. So it's like, but if the next eleven mission, like it, 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 it's Teresa's going to be like, you're, you know, you will do this thing until you become insane, mm-hmm. uh, and also the pointlessness of it too, because like right. you said, Germany is on the ropes, yeah. and like he's he was made a promise, and now that promise is being altered. You know, yeah. the the he's he got Darth Vadered. Uh, I I don't know. I'm. And also, like, if you're telling that story, how are they going to keep it consistently funny? Because it's all it's all yeah, fun yeah. to see this guy, you know, fucking George Clooney's wife as he's doing these pointless military drills and this guy's doing his mess officer. But, you know, it's already like, I think, kind of harder for the show to be funny after they did the sequence where he got, you know, that guy's corpse got blown into the canopy. Um, it's like Breaking Bad, you know, Breaking Bad could be darkly funny or very very dramatic and invested but like the doing the la- the the latter hurt its ability to do the former you know so like yeah and over time they drop that yeah real right. grim grim places and i also wonder who's who i'm supposed to believe in some of these scenes like it's clear that the main character has a somewhat nihilistic view of things um mm-hmm. you know he, he's talking about uh you know, he says he's not casting judgment on God, but he's simply pointing out facts. But he's talking about, oh, the cruelty of God and mm-hmm. the scenario he's in. And then when they talk about these parades, I thought it was interesting because the one guy sees them as a team building exercise right. uh, to to build camaraderie, build, you know, communication, all those kinds of things. The main character sees them as a display of power mm-hmm. via the humiliation of the troops. So who am I supposed to believe in that moment? And what does that say about what's going to happen during the rest of the show? But the thing is, is I think that the show wants you to think Yo-Yo is right because this character is consistently shown to be a dumbass. Or maybe he's actually right objectively, but his but it doesn't being fit within the system does not fit into the Army's way of doing things. Right. That's kind of how I viewed it. And I don't think that's... <laughs> so saying that fitting into the system is a negative thing is not something that... Yeah that i understand uh-huh. or, or rather sorry I, I misspoke there saying that this person doesn't fit into the system uh-huh. isn't necessarily a negative thing to me well but like when you see the system is flying shoulder to shoulder interlocked never like budging and like just rigidly following this thing um even though everything in your body is screaming to turn the wheel get the fuck out of here like 
That is how you do it. Like, but he's so right about the other thing when he's yeah. talking about, oh, why why can't you fucks get into formation correctly and do right. this march? Right. I mean, he's kind of right. You know, break mm-hmm. down the teams into smaller groups, get mm-hmm. them refined at the lower levels, and then build right. them up into a cohesive unit. Like, that all makes sense to me. So when they try to portray him as wrong about the purpose of the parades, I'm maybe that's not a part of it. it. That's a, like a subtle nod to other mini catch twenty twos in life. Like, yeah, if you. You've got this training process is regimented and it's one size fits all and you're encouraged to not think outside the box. So the people you want like your officers, but to be dashing and creative and problem solvers. But you've got a system that's designed to stamp out round pegs that fit in a round hole. So like a guy who's actually intelligent and thinks about the problem would not make it through that process. And you get a guy like George Clooney who's just like he wants you guys to swing seven inches or three and a half inch arc from from hip to wrist, and god damn it, why can't you do it? Whereas a person that's like, well, here's why you can't. You're a fucking square peg, and I'm trying to pound you in a round hole. Shut the fuck up. That's uh, a catch catch twenty two. Like a person, and, and then the f- the further catch twenty two is when you get to be an officer, right? And they actually do want you to to display all the qualities they that they beat, beat the fuck you. out yeah. of you over right. the course yeah. of your training. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, how does Hugh Laurie go from being in? like those petty officer ranks mm-hmm. to getting up to being an officer it and, and then turning they, into the person he is yeah it makes me think mm-hmm. that they didn't mm-hmm. that most of the officers it didn't work on him or no that they didn't go through that at all they started off oh i think you have like, to i don't yeah i think in the military everybody goes through that initial training and the people get promoted through that i thought there was like you got enlisted and then then you've got officer like there's like a you you, you can yeah, be but don't they come out of like aren't aren't you don't, don't you people, get to officer training via just a standard boot camp kind of yeah i think there's like a like so you can get like a battlefield commission but then there's also officer training school and that's like uh-huh. where the majority of them come out of but i don't mm, I, I don't could, know enough I obviously be, <laughs> i could be wrong about that yeah um, maybe he didn't go through that maybe that's why he's got this these eccentricities about his personality yeah right someone like uh Gosh, I wish I had their character names. I know. <laughs> and, and that's the one criticism I had is like, I found it very hard to tell these guys apart. Yeah. Because um, a lot of them are like sandy blonde haired with regulation haircuts and they're all wearing the uniforms. And mm-hmm. right. even with them helpfully going through and giving us the text version of their names next to their faces, still <laughs> uh-huh. nothing, yeah. nothing registered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh- but yeah, George, someone like George Clooney's character seems like he did. He came through it. He believes in it strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, even if there's a new way, that's how it's always been done. And that's how he got to be a, a disciplined man. So why would we change it now? <laughs> oh yeah. The, I mean, changes in those kind of procedures come from the top. Like mm. they don't just, yeah. you know, Oh, we're going to try something new today, kids. Nope. <laughs> but to your point, um, it seems like with the, the formation and humiliating the people and who was right, it seems like the guy who had the idea about the smaller groups was proven wrong when he locked his knees and passed out. It's like this. I, yeah, I don't, I, know I why. don't understand why that happened. Do you? Yeah, it's it's a thing that happens when you get nervous. But if you're standing straight up and you lock your knees, it'll impair your circulation. Yeah, it'll impair your circulation what? and make you pass out. Yeah. It's something I learned when this. I was in when I was in choir. Because huh. a lot of people, when they go to perform for the first time, they're trying to like really focus on their posture because that's what you've been told all along. Mm. So you're so focused on take, keeping this rigid posture, you cut off your own circulation and then just wow. pass out. Yeah. All right. I wasn't sure if they were leaning towards yeah. that because I'd heard the same thing or if it was just like it was hot. 
I feel like you could tell in the way he started to shake before he fell. Oh. Like oh. his, you could see his leg starting to shake. Right. Uh, and you know the a tuba is very heavy. He shouldn't have been carrying that. Right, that was foolish. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think of the star Christopher Abbott? Because I I didn't think much of him honestly in Girls, but I've seen that he's done a lot of interesting things lately. He was in First Man. He's coming up at this new oh, right. um, uh, Natalie Portman, Jude Law, Vo- uh, Box Lux type of uh, musical deal. Um, I thought that he was really really good in mm-hmm. in this show. I agree. Um, so I don't know because I'd heard uh, some stuff like with the that I, something went bad between him and the girls' production, and that, like he either demanded to be out or maybe they didn't want him to come back, and I I don't know. But like, like I said, I didn't again I didn't think much of him in that show, but like I've seen him. I can't remember the last time I saw him in something. Um, but I really like him in this, and I'm looking forward to seeing him with uh, that uh, Vox Lux thing coming out. Yeah, I thought another standout performance was the Doctor. I really enjoyed every scene that the doctor was in. Yes. Mm. The the um when yeah. the doctor was explaining the catch twenty two to Yo Yo, uh-huh. it was actually a direct you told me this was a direct yeah. quote from the original novel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that whole line of dialogue that which I which I thought like, man, it feels like a uh, who's like, who's on first type of skit skit. It does, yeah. Um but yeah, it's just like it's a word for word description of the character, like articulating what catch twenty two is from the novel. Um the only difference is in the novel I guess he like whistled like when he found instead of being like, That's some catch. Uh <laughs> but I like that. It had a lot of that kind of like frantic um a little bit of off kilter, like George Clooney, men who stare in goats kind of energy to it. I don't mm-hmm. know whether I'm just saying that because it's George Clooney <laughs> and I see him in a military uniform. No, I mean, like I got the same impression, especially when it opens with a naked man walking on an airbase. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pretty, it's, it feels farcical, but yeah. it's very serious. It, I'm, I'm very curious to see if they can continue kind of flipping this tone or it's just going to get grimmer and grimmer and grimmer. Hey, before I move on, I want to promote the club, club.ballmove.com, where you can get fantastic club content. It's interesting, on Fridays when we record this uh, TV podcast, if we, we actually come fresh off of Lunch with Jim and Aaron, uh, a series where Jim and I talk about whatever's on our mind, and we also turn the mics over to you, the audience, and they can ask us questions. And uh, the highlight for the lunch this, the, for me today, Jim, was the legend of Cocaine Bear. Oh, easily. Uh, we're talking about our top five animals of all time, and someone mentioned the bear. There's a, there's a bear that ate forty pounds, forty kilograms of cocaine, uh-huh. and lived to tell the tale. Actually, oh, yeah. that's not true. He he totally died. Yeah, he, we, his heart exploded and caught fire. But it's kind of a funny story. You can get it exclusively on Lunch with Jim and Aaron, one of the many club features. Uh, you can test drive the club by going to club.baldmove.com, or you can preview some lunches for free. See what it's all about. Always, you can start a new. 30-day trial uh, to get all club content risk-free, your money back if you're not satisfied. Start yours at club.baldmove.com today. Uh, do you guys want to move on to Fleabag? Let's do it. So Fleabag is an Amazon original. It's moving on to season two. Uh, and we we normally don't do season two stuff, but we were so kind of taken, I think, charmed by the trailer that we're like, you know what? Fuck it. Uh, we will check this episode out. or We'll check the season out. Uh, I noticed that they made like a two minute kind of like uh, everything you need to know from season one kind of previously on, which I found not super helpful. (laughs) I found I was more confused at the end of that than I would have been without it. Yeah, but I got to say, I fucking love this episode. This felt so like emotionally real. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like when I was growing up, all of the sitcoms were essentially trying to show you how things should be like how like. 
this is how families should interact and this is how families should deal with problems and this is how friends should support each other and like nowadays uh television series are like that generation grew up and like this is how things actually were in the homes you know we were watching it's like a uh, wonder years kind of thing yeah we we yeah 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 we were we were watching we were all watching like uh, family ties and silver spoons and uh growing pains and the fucking tanners and full house but what we were really li- living were these passive aggressive old generation versus new generation people walking on like these family dynamics like i i just thought I don't know. I, I I thought it was it was very entertaining and and uh, kind of also insightful. Yeah this this dinner scene, this whole dinner scene, and it's effectively like the whole episode is this dinner scene. Yeah. Um. But in the beginning, especially, I very much felt like I did with uh, Russian Doll, where it's just like bombarding you with so much conversation you can't possibly take it in. The thing that I really loved about it is that that was the point of it. Yeah. And that every smoke break she took was me taking my own fucking smoke break from this episode. And it really worked for me in that regard. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, a lot of shows just play it straight, like catch up, yeah, catch up. And I never want to catch up. This one was like, Ooh, my God, it's so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought Reset. it was, I, I had, um, I had like, I just recently went down and spent some time with my dad um, in Florida, and we had kind of like a tense dinner situation where it's like I couldn't <laughs> put my finger exactly what was ratcheting up the tension and every single thing, but like I kept on like Jesus Christ, if politics comes up right now, it's going to. But like this, this dinner was like that. Like every single thing seemed like oh you could should be able to roll with that, but they just kept on piling on and piling on, mm-hmm. and the editing is really good of like um, you know. I, there's this one part where like her stepmom is she's invited this Catholic priest who's a very unconventional Catholic priest and he's swearing and he's talking. Who may about, not even be a Catholic. Might priest. not. He might be a fake Catholic priest. Okay. I don't know. That's that's an interesting. It, it doesn't seem like from seeing the trailer that that's actually the case. But he's just an unconventional Catholic priest, and his her his her their, their her parents, which are kind of like oblivious and. Um, they're well-meaning, but they say stupid stuff. Like I feel like a lot of shows like this would have the. I don't mom, think they're that well-meaning. Yeah, maybe, but she's she's the type of mom to be like, oh, anything. The interesting way about this the father so and so is his mother's originally a lesbian, and then it just smash cuts there like a, a, the a five years ago. Yeah. This sitcom would just show everyone being uncomfortable, but now you just so this like you, it's like they flash forward fifty minutes in the conversation, knowing like, oh god, that's one of the things that's ratcheting the tension here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just that's the fact good. that. You know, you would be that casual about revealing people's personal details and the fact that it also be like a you're saying interesting, but you're kind of using it to say shocking or scandalous. And I I just thought the way to edit it and the way that the right. This person is an extension of her and this person, the more interesting that they are, the more interesting she becomes. Mm -hmm. You know, she was really Mm -hmm. seemed to clearly be hoping he was wearing he was going to wear his little dog collar. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Almost to say, look who I found. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like showing off a pet. Yeah, that's... yeah, exactly like that. Well, a lot of the reason this works is the this Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who I had never heard of before watching this, but is I that guess... the main character? She's the main character. She's the creator of this show. She's she, the writer oh. of the show. And this, she wrote wow. the show Killing Eve, too. This, this is, is also really based popular. on, I guess, a stage play that she had written and ah. performed. And she's also behind... Yeah, she's the showrunner uh, and head writer, I think, of the BBC Killing Eve, which I've heard a ton of good things about. Yeah. So, like, suddenly she just burst on, and, like, she's just great. Like, 
they are she does these fourth wall breaks that i find very very funny and, and charming. very smooth right. too like yes. th- th- there are there are moments like where she takes a breath and then like winks at the camera or something yeah and, like and, i, f- I right, feel it's like, like you're I'm sitting at the best... table too and you're yeah. sharing uh-huh. the secret yeah like yeah. i'm her bestie and like we're catching eyes like, kind of like oh yeah your mom well, your mom's a piece oof. of work or <laughs> yeah super uh, your dad it's 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 good and like everything just like that happens is maximum like social awkward mm-hmm. like you know dad and his her dad's like the most inarticulate man alive but i i love it because <laughs> it feels like my dad who's like or i you always seen this in families that are like maybe non non-conventional but they're there together for the holidays and everyone loves each other and and a family member wants to step up and maybe drunkenly mark the occasion <laughs> But they don't have any of the emotional language required to do anything, and everyone's just kind of awkwardly like, oh, when's Grandma going to sit down? Or when, <laughs> when is Aunt Kathy going to st- stop this? Like, it, it just perfectly capture, captures that, I thought. Uh, and yeah. then... My, oh my one God. of my favorite moments was her catching her sister's husband? husband. Fiance? I- I, I think, think it's married. husband. Yeah. Is it husband? Okay, catching her sister's husband drinking. Uh, and just what an absolute shit this guy is. He is one of the worst human beings I've ever seen. How are you going to make this all about you? I'm interested in seeing it. Especially since like, the one thing I got from the previously on is he absolutely initiated a romantic encounter on her. And then she did the right thing, told her sister. And then he threw the bus, threw in her bus and said, well, who are you going to believe me or your, yeah. sis- your, your crazy sister? And so they had this falling out. And it feels uh, like a little bit of a coming together here in this first episode. Yeah, well, it's a year flash like forward from that event. And they are pretending to be together for the sake of their father. Or like yeah, but, to be a- but I do I do feel like there's a, a path forward for them, uh, especially with this guy being shown to be a complete asshole and liar. Yeah. Um, and I think she knows that because she's going home mm-hmm. alone, right? She's not leaving with this guy. Right. Going to the hospital now. Right, yeah. To the hospital alone, yeah. So I assume that like they have, she has acknowledged that, okay, maybe this guy has lied to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested to see how that, the sister relationship progresses from here. Yeah, and like a lot like Russian Doll before it, it I feel like it's headed into a tra- trajectory where it's very funny and very real, but also gives people kind of like, hey, there's a path forward. Like you don't, that this doesn't have to be your life. You can. Um, and I felt like I don't know what this person's path is in season one, but it feels like she's kind of a mess of a character. But like she was right on, like her sister trying to swallow all of her grief and all of her pain she's going through and pretend like nothing's happening with this that this miscarriage that she suffers. Like that's like the least healthy thing you can do and you know maybe it's not great to blow that you know to 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 disclose that information but it's like yeah i don't know i don't know what i do and she it's does like, like it's a medical emergency though it's like yeah. it's like choking and pe- you know how people get embarrassed yeah. when they choke and they're actually dying in a restaurant right. because but you still do the heimlich regardless of whether right. you want to or not <laughs> right yeah, it's great because like I, I was thinking like God, what the hell is going to happen when they sit down? And somehow they found the most uh, awkward way to deal with it possible. Like she didn't. I thought she's just going to spill the beans, but somehow she like started to, but then made it about herself, and then just made commentary about her sister's crazy decisions by framing it about me. It was like, oh, I'm going to be the, the most passive aggressive asshole. I'm going to deal with this the most passive aggressive anal way possible, you know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's uh, it, it just really really worked for me. Yeah, it was good, and everyone else was you know had been drinking enough that it, it that all that nuance was lost on them on uh-huh. what was actually happening, uh-huh. oh, and God, all of yeah. that led into the most hilarious punch accidental punch fight I've ever seen on. T- <laughs> <laughs> it 
Well, especially since the guy was being vicious towards his the sister, which he thought was like going to be something his wife would enjoy, but he didn't realize that he's actually saying things are incredibly vicious and insensitive about yeah. his wife to yeah. just women, like any like woman in general, but like specifically his wife, and mm-hmm. then it leads to like you said the and then the fact that they. Oh my God, the the needy waitress! How they kept on uh, like weaving that in the story until she ends up taking a punch at the end. It's just, it's really great. Yeah, I like uh, the show. I'm, it's, I'm it's gonna so go. Good, it's so good. I want to go back to season one and like you know get, get that under my belt. Uh, I, I took a little of, offense at them calling her a needy waitress because she's I, a good waitress. Yeah, she's well, pretty needy. She's she's <laughs> over attentive, but I like. Is that her fault or is that the fault of our society and the, her managers and like I, I just. I don't know. I feel like you're also wait staff is like in that country where she's at. Where is she? I have no idea where she is. I think they're in London, right? Somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't. Do they do? They don't do tipping over there. Okay. In that case, it makes a lot more sense. Right. That's what I got from it. I also think especially like when Claire got up at one point and then waitress runs over and she's like, "Do you think she'll need anything?" Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I also think it's like some things like you know like couples that aren't very affectionate like seem like take ultra offense to seeing public displays of affection on others like that's like a trigger for them like oh god why don't they get a hotel room whereas like this family's emotionally closed off so someone just kind of like being attentive and caretaking is like someone taking uh, care of them yeah. well makes them feel weird and it's like uh yeah you know it's like if you're not a hugger and someone is it feels weird even though like this is a hug this is human contact like right uh i thought there's a little bit of like yes they said that but consider the source you know like gotcha these people who all probably use therapy or have no no frame of reference to call someone needy or well-adjusted right. or anything like that. A little that. bit of both. Well, if they're all English, I get it. <laughs> right, right. They're that even more buttoned-down Americans. Yeah. Hey, before we move on, I want to talk about what's going on the rest of the week here at BaldMove.com. If you are a TV fan, and I know you are listening to BaldMove TV, we are covering Chernobyl every Wednesday. We have a full episode on the BaldMove TV feed which is this one. You might want to subscribe to it. Uh, it's a really great miniseries on HBO outlining the Chernobyl disaster and the Soviets' response to it. And uh, it's just all the crazy shit and heroism that went on and stupidity that went on in the, the days uh, after. Um, we're also on the movie feed. There's a lot of activity uh, next week. We've got a Wednesday Super Serious Film Fest coming out. That's the last one that we're doing in, in a, a celebration of Game of Thrones. This is We're going to be doing a podcast on Willow. Uh, there's also going to be a John Wick 3 Parabellum review out next week, as well as a, a review of the new live-action Aladdin. So tons, tons of action in the Bald Movies feed. Please subscribe to that as well if you'd like to keep up on it. And, of course, the big the 800-pound gorilla, or the eight-season-long gorilla in the room is, God, is Game of Thrones. Uh, it's the final episode of the series. Uh, we have full coverage all week long, Sunday night, the instant take slash talk. Tuesday to full podcast and uh, Friday the spoiler edition and we'll have an additional uh, a, a week a, a, a week after this is all said and done we'll have a wrap up podcast to kind of send off the episode the, the series in style and that's what's happening here at baldmove.com Muhammad Ali say my name um, Muhammad I, Ali I've <laughs> say his name not my name I've I've only seen the first half of this there's a it's just essentially a two episodes they're 90 minutes apiece the first deals with um his life up through like the his first comeback victory after he was sent to prison for dodging uh, the vietnam draft or being a conscious objector to the vietnam draft and um the second one i presume takes him all the way to the grave 
because it does yeah. seem like the setup. It sets out to tell the story of Muhammad Ali from the time of him being a baby, born in Louisville, Kentucky, in our backyard, until you know, and, and the impact he had on society, in the sports world, in the world of politics and civil rights. Um, I've seen a decent number of Muhammad Ali biopics and documentaries. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what was your opinion on this one, Jim? Uh, I like it. Uh, I, but not maybe not for the reasons that you would expect a Muhammad Ali documentary to hit, no pun intended. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it's not a particularly great sports documentary, which it's made by HBO Sports. That's kind of the only reason I point that out. Right. Um, but as a who was this man kind of documentary, I think it it does a much better job. Because uh, the highlights of his fights, I think, are so without context to be almost meaningless mm-hmm. uh I, like the only things that really made sense in the context of this documentary as far as the fights go is when he loses a fight mm-hmm. and when he comes back and regains the title those types of things like seeing you know him fight ken norton for the third time or whatever or some schmo that you know he just had to he had to climb this ladder back again is is sort of pointless and they mm-hmm. don't they don't dwell on anything long enough, which I guess is both a, a blessing and a curse, because if they did, I would, I'd be saying, oh, it's even worse because they dwell on this too long and it doesn't mean right. anything. But I think where the documentary shines is showing what kind of man Muhammad Ali was. Yeah, and it puts a context, I think, for like non-boxing fans, like why he was so unique, because he had a very unconventional, like everything about it was unconventional, kind of like a stance, his defense. Uh, I just don't think they do a great job. I've seen better, oh, sure. better boxing Muhammad Ali boxing documentaries in this way better, right? But I think that like a person that doesn't know anything about boxing and just wants to know why was Muhammad Ali such a light lightning in the bottle situation, you see this person and they and, and they contrast yeah. him to all the other boxers of the day and just like he looks different, he moves different, uh, his the way he runs his mouth, the mm-hmm. the way he brings in social commentary and says like just relentlessly smart things about it. Um, you know, it's like I got as as I was watching, it was like I, I kind of got it, like why that he was a key figure for civil rights. And I know a lot of people, um, you know, have some mixed feelings about like Nation of Islam and Black Muslims and some of that the, the politics of that movement. But watching the first half of this, I'm like, if you're a racist white person, it's very hard to pretend that you are better than Muhammad Ali in almost any <laughs> any facet of life. Sure, like he's extremely good looking he's powerful he could kick your ass he's also very smart he's also very rich he's charismatic he's charismatic he's he's uh, did i say he's also he's also ridiculously good looking when talk Uh about it like you know you can talk about my defense how well my hands are but my face doesn't get hit i've been in 180 fights and look how pretty (laughs) i'm i'm as pretty as a girl like like he just he's like a he's like he's he's like the rock from his WWE days, <laughs> yeah. except for he actually can legitimately take you apart. Well, I'm sure that Rock could too, but oh me certainly. Yeah, um, I, I just like I just he's just like uh, one of these one of a kind talents, and the way he would like fuck with people in the ring uh, and mm-hmm. and get in their heads in the pre and post fight stuff. Just I and and hold his own against uh, kind of his white establishment sports media that was trying to take him down and trying to paint him as this uppity black man that. You know, it's too good to fight for his country. and But, like, all the things he said, like, I thought it was really fascinating, him coming back for the Olympics and talking about, like, you know what? I'm going to go to the nicest 
I'm gonna go to. I I just wore, I just won the gold medal for my country. This yep. country that my daddy fought for in World War II, and and uh, I be I whipped the world for America. And I'm gonna go to the best steakhouse in my hometown, and I'm gonna celebrate. And I probably won't have to write a check. And they try to not serve him because yeah. he's black. And he's like, well, I, he's like, we don't serve Negroes. We're like, good, I don't eat them either. Give me my steak, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just like, how yeah. how the fuck can you argue with that? And seeing a guy like that on TV giving speeches into a sea of like white people, like, I feel like even if he wasn't politically act- active, just him living his life was kind of a rebuttal to some of the supremacy of the time. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the the thing that the second part of the documentary does so well is they. Because you know, ultimately, this ends up in a semi tragedy, right? Like the the tolls that boxing has taken yeah. on Muhammad Ali, or potentially even just his genetics, uh, cause mm-hmm. him to end up with a debilitating disease. Yeah, they probably even if it's one or the other, the, like the combination, no good. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, and, and so you can kind of see like the the toll that that takes on him. But I also think it was the toll of just having to stand up for his people constantly like he he comes back from all all of this stuff with the draft and and stuff very much a different person at least yeah from what i can tell uh based on these interviews which is one thing i appreciate about this documentary it's all told through either interview the voices of interviews with him or his own voices uh or his own recordings like family members people who were close to him Mm -hmm. and it's no these aren't contemporary review or interviews these Or like conversations they had with people who knew him in the past. These are of the era that they're trying to depict here, mm-hmm. um, and, and that really helps to kind of lay out who he was at any given time because you hear it in his own words. Yeah. Uh, but you see, like this, this has taken a toll on him. He goes into this whole draft thing as kind of a bright-eyed kid mm-hmm. who, who you know, has had some some adversity and some challenges based on his race and and who he is and where he grew up. Mm-hmm. But I think more so like the whole weight of feeling like he has, like, like he is an icon, but also I don't think he ever resents that, but I also think it takes a toll on him being forced to, you know, represent an entire people. And you can see that he's less of a boxer when he comes back. Mm-hmm. He, he, at some point in the second half of this documentary, I think it's the second half says, I don't like boxing. I don't. I don't want anything to do with boxing. Mm-hmm. When he's going through like his his black Muslim phase, uh, or I don't even know if it's a phase because at some point he comes back around to like, oh, I'm actually the smart talking Muhammad Ali that I was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but his at that point his physical abilities are sort of failing him, and it's I mean, that's the things like as great as Muhammad Ali was, like he had five years of his absolute prime stolen from him. And I think that took a huge toll on him. And also, like, I don't know, like, I, because, like, I, it seems to me, and I've said this several times, but it seems to me that, like, conventional wisdom is the Vietnam War was a bad idea and, like, a waste of resources and human lives, which makes, like, you know, so that's, like, a tragic in bulk because, like, what, 68,000 some, maybe 90,000 service members gave up their lives and hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese. Um, but like this, like personalizes, like this is a thing you can point down to like the world, like boxing wasn't like, was changed. Like the history of boxing was changed by this, this thing happening to Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. And also like at the time, like people were like, well, he's not patriotic. He's not willing to fight for his country, but his history is judging him. Like he was on the right side. Everything, nothing that he said was particularly out there. Like he was saying things that I think are, are extremely true for both the time he lives in today, like a specifically criticism about Vietnam war. And the fact that, 
You know, why would he go for a fight, a fight for a country that hates him and, and people like him and, and are, are mm-hmm. lying and tricking people and, you know, interfering in, in other countries' ability to, to, to do their business and, and, and try their own forms of government? Um, he comes there like, like, I feel like history's judged him correct, but he went through so much shit for it, saying what were correct things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes a point that, you know, I am doing much more of a service in the ring than I could ever do uh-huh. on a battlefield. Uh-huh. Um, and he's right about that. Like I, he, he says, every time I get in the ring, I'm fighting for this country. I'm fighting for this right, government. I'm making, like, yeah, the t- I'm making taxes and all that. Yeah. I mean, but not even that, right. He's showing the, the black men can be respected that mm-hmm. like I, it's, he, he is doing, I think far more good in the ring than he could have done holding a gun in the jungle. Uh, sure. But the point I was trying to get around to is it, it's sort of a tragedy at the end, what happens to him with, with his Parkinson's disease. But he himself, in his own words, says, you shouldn't you shouldn't pity me because as much as boxing has taken from me, it's given me 10 times yeah. that much back. Yeah. Uh, and it's given my people 10 times that much back. So, like, there, there's there's a message at the end, which it's hard not to look at it and say, oh, man, that's just such a tragedy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he didn't look at it that way, and yeah. it's it's kind of you know uplifting that that maybe we don't have to look at it that way too. And then they go into like all the charity work and stuff, mm-hmm. and the the you know getting hostages back from Iran and and all the things he did with like Jimmy Carter and Reagan and stuff, and and the the help that he gave people mm-hmm. even after you know he was debilitated to the point where he could no longer box, he still had much more to contribute. Yeah, and I thought there was some other interesting parallels that the 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 documentary didn't make out of stuff that I noticed is that like the people intentionally misnaming him <laughs> just to be yeah. pricks mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of like the issue of like mispronouncing and dead naming trans people. Yeah, like it's so clear to me that there's a certain class. I mean, there's some people that just aren't where they need to be in education. Um, they just don't understand. But there's some people that are doing it and they know what they're doing and they're just doing it to hurt people and disrespect people and make them feel like their choices don't matter. Uh, and I just got like a lot of deja vu because the arguments these people are making about like, well, that's, just, that's what says on his birth certificate. And I'm going to like, it is, you know, I understand they're not identical things. Um, but I felt like there was a lot of similarity in the types of attitudes I've seen from people doing that and the types of attitudes I see from people doing that in the trans community. Um, yeah, I can see it from his opponents. Like yeah. That's a tactic to get in his head. Yeah. But, but yeah, when you got trainers of other boxers that aren't fighting him, calling yeah. him Cassius, it's like, what the... Oh, his yeah. attempt to, like, it's like, you know, like, oh, you are... And it's like a lot also came from uh, fellow black athletes, even. Yeah, yeah. You know, like they're like, hey, I'm. Uh, they they were contrasting like their willingness to be in the military, military service with his, and you know, and and I, I it's interesting because like I think obviously uh, Muhammad Ali generated a lot of press just as a promotion of himself, but like that stuff where he was calling some of those boxers like Uncle Tom, it got really heated. Like that felt like he like. I felt like there's a couple times where you you hear genuine emotion. Like I'm not just yeah. fucking with you, man. Like no, this is like. You know, I'm, I, it's like he's like I don't hate the guy, but I don't like him because he's doing these incredible. Like he's not using, he's refusing to say my name. He's making fun of my religion. He's making fun of my stances. He's carrying water for this government that you know won't serve us at restaurants, but wants us to go fight in its wars. Like 
uh, that's the time where it's like, and I think a, a lot of people smeared him in the time of like, well, he's just doing this is just part of his self promotion. But like, I felt like the documentary did a good job of showing well, this is what Muhammad Ali looks like when he's just running his fucking mouth. Yeah, when yeah. he's like trying to generate interest in the fight and like putting in, in trying to get his opponent riled up, and this is him actually. No, you are actually hurting me, and like you're trying to take down my human dignity. And I thought that was cool. I, I would say um, probably the the last thing I really have to say on this is Muhammad Ali's boxing career mm-hmm. is incredible. Yes, and if. If you look at this documentary and you go like, oh, what's the big deal? I mean, he had a few comebacks. He lost a few fights. Go watch some of these full fights in their entirety because the highlights that they show give you like a couple of big moments, but it's all about the lead up. Mm -hmm. It's all about like the context of the fight um, that you don't get from this documentary at all and is is what makes those fights so amazing. Yeah. I I will understand like some people are not inclined to watch fights of any kind. Sure. um, And I'm not going to you know disparage you for that but if you are interested go they're available like on youtube and stuff mm-hmm. go look up some of muhammad ali's bigger fights like the thrill manila against uh was that one george foreman i think so or was that i did, though, the that, was, that was all that happened in part two so i yeah yeah i i don't remember which it is there, there's one fight which where one came first and which one came second and yeah, yeah. The, when when he starts to do his rope it up stuff there's one fight where i i want to say it was maybe Maybe Rumble in the Jungle. I don't know where they, they just beat the crap out of each other. And you uh-huh. look at that fight and you go, oh, my God, if there's any fight that you could mark in Muhammad Ali's career that might have caused some injuries, mm-hmm. this one is it. Mm-hmm. Because he's right. Most of the time he doesn't get punched. But watch some of the ones where he doesn't and he just takes down his opponent. It's it's amazing. He's an incredible athlete. He really is. He, he is probably the greatest boxer. Yeah, and like I'm not. I haven't seen every boxer, and there's a stuff but, like I hadn't seen a lot of his like Golden Gloves era stuff, and like when, when he was younger, just like yeah. a skinny kid throwing punches and working his way up to heavyweight, and how his yeah. like, you know, he honed his body to to be like that. And there's just and also the his generation. It wasn't like that he was a giant amongst a bunch of like fucking jabronis. Like like <laughs> right. when they showed the, like the pre fight with Sonny Liston, and like you see Sonny Liston. He's like the fucking Incredible Hulk is chopping dudes down, like just beating the fuck. And I'm like, I yeah. even knowing like Muhammad Ali is going to win the fight. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, it just seems like he I because I, 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 I know a lot of people like, you know, were rooting against Muhammad Ali and mm-hmm. uh, because like, you know, he was a brash, outspoken black man. But there's a lot of people like, no, nah, I just think this guy's going to be able to tear this guy apart. He just doesn't have the mass. He doesn't have the. Mm-hmm. The, the strength, but he's just so smooth and so quick and so hard to hit in his younger days. Um, was yeah. he, he actually was undefeated until he went to prison, right? Yeah, and I think he came back off that three-year uh, break, and he fought Sonny Liston for the first time, and he lost. Yeah, and it's like you could tell that he wasn't in the, his condition. Yeah. Like, he probably, his mind wasn't in it, and um, but he still but he just, lost by decision. It, it's, it's striking right. to me that you only ever see him hit the mat one time in this entire documentary. Mm. Because I I don't think he's been knocked down very many times. I did see a couple times where that's the other thing that they didn't they obviously didn't stop the documentary to point this out. But there, I saw a couple times in the first half where I know he took a concussion because he got <laughs> wobbly in his knees and was like falling. Uh-huh. His, and like they put him back in the fight and he was still not upstairs fully. Man, and like when you see these old fights and or like old football games and like you're like oh Jesus they're breaking this person's brain and they. 
they don't know it. It's it's even worse in the second half of this documentary where you know that Muhammad Ali is on the tail end of his career. He's just taking tons. You of, can, now he's getting You can hits. see him getting interviewed by Howard Cosell three days before the fight, and he can barely keep his eyes open. He can hardly speak. And you know three days later he's going into that ring against an opponent who is 15 years younger than him yeah. and determined to tear his head off. Mm-hmm. Somehow, Muhammad Ali is able to get into that ring and hold his own mm-hmm. and not get just absolutely devastated. But you know he's not. Yeah. He should not be in that ring. And the people yeah. around him putting him in that ring. Although, I will say, they make this very clear that Muhammad Ali wanted to be in that ring. Right. There was nothing that could stop him, I don't think, from getting in that ring. If his manager right. said, no, we're not putting you in there. Right. If his promoter said, we're not promoting this fight, he'd go find somebody else and he'd get in that fucking ring. Because he wanted to come back that fourth time. And yeah it's it gets sad at the end i think but also hopeful because of his own words do you think that uh i I, will heavyweight boxing ever be good again because it seems like conventional wisdom is that you know now we know about traumatic brain injuries and concussions that um you just the quality of athletes that are going into there like people from america just don't start boxing nowadays you're getting a lot of people from like Eastern Europe and other parts of the world, like, uh, yeah, you know, Indonesia and Malaysia places that, you know, like just not as well educated and are have worse social economic situations. Um, mm-hmm. do you think that like, and it seems like the UFC is also stealing a lot of its thunder and a lot of people promote that as a safer sport. I, I wonder if that's like, that'll <laughs> Without be seen. The gloves, yeah. yeah. I wonder if that'll be seen like filtered cigarettes in a few years because yeah, we just, we just haven't, we don't know like what the long-term effects of people, like it seems like it's better than letting people get their brains beat out and putting people that are essentially functionally still knocked out and concussed, but putting them back in the fight. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, like getting there, there's no safe amount of t- times to take severe blows to their head. Yeah. No, I agree. Unfortunately. Uh, I actually like, um, fighters like Manny Pacquiao who are in light, lighter weight classes. Lighter weights, yeah. Because uh, they are more technically technically proficient, they have yeah. to be because those blows. You know, a, a, a guy who's five foot four is not really going to be able to throw a punch right. to generate the power that can knock somebody out. And they usually have better conditioning, and it's faster, and it's more it's more cinematic yeah. like boxing. Oh, it's it's. I think it's so much more exciting. Like um, this, like like honestly though, some of these the fights of Ali's prime when he had top world class competition did surprisingly look like Rocky fights. Especially yeah. since Muhammad Ali had that yeah. like crazy casual defense where he just kind of keeps his head, his hands down at like belly button level, and he dodges you. And yeah, you just you still can't st- they right. punches on him, and he's like, it's it's so fucking crazy. But I don't know. Like every once in a while, you'll see a heavyweight guy like uh, in you know, like the nineties. Uh, there's like Roy Jones Jones Jr., which if you haven't seen his highlights, check those out on YouTube. All right, uh, we will be that na- be back next week. We've got a full. We'll have a standalone podcast around Wednesday for. This weekend's Chernobyl. Uh, we'll also be doing Bald Move TV uh, next Friday with whatever whatever our net drags up from the the depths of the uh, the internet internet broadcasting yeah. those those uh, those streamers the streamers streaming services originals the Hulu's whatever maybe uh-huh. the networks will get lucky one of these days and get something <laughs> on there good luck. <laughs> Uh, but we'll be back to that. Send in your feedback to TV at baldmove.com. Uh, yeah, next week, uh, we it's obviously a big week at Game of Thrones and lots of television. I think we got another movie. Uh, check all that out on baldmove.com. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. I'm Jim. And I'm Cecily. See ya.